Hi, I'm Michaela Loach. Hi, I'm Joe Becker. And this is the Yikes Podcast. So today's episode is a bit of a heavier one. Um, we are talking about the refugee crisis. Um, we also have a guest with us, which is really exciting. We have the wonderful Ellie Shimon, um, who is a student at the University of Edinburgh, specialising in migration studies. Um, she has also worked in Greece um, on the islands previously and has experience working with refugee organisations there Um she is a, just a really wonderful person and I'm really excited to be talking to her about this um, and to have a guest on here to kind of open up the conversation a bit more. Um, we talk about the refugee crisis in this episode. Um, you might have first heard about this in 2015 when a picture of um, a three-year-old Syrian boy named Alan Kurdi appeared on a lot of British newspapers um, and newspapers all around the globe. Um, this crisis... Um, has a lot of different causes and a lot of different reasons. Um, a lot of the people um, who are currently displaced are Syrian. Um, there are also people from other Kurdish countries such as Afghanistan, Iraq. Um, and there are some people from Sub-Saharan Africa who are also currently displaced um, over Europe. We go into this um, topic a bit more. And if you haven't heard of it before, this is probably a good introduction to the topic. It's um, very um, Europe-focused. So we recognise that there's migration and refugees all around the world um we're just focusing now on the european um topic mostly greece in this episode mm. and it's only an introduction this is a whole big conversation but we hope that um we hope that you'll listen along and maybe be a little bit um inspired by um the work that ellie's done but also um just maybe be introduced to this topic for the first time uh yeah. and just as a little content warning this is quite a heavy topic um we really encourage you still to listen um, and engage with this topic, um, but also like make sure that you take care of your heart and uh, reach out to people around you if you need help with coping with this topic. Just to start off with a few uh, definitions that we will be referring to in this podcast. A refugee is a person who has been forced to leave their country in order to escape war, persecution or natural disaster. And a migrant is someone who is just generally on the move. Um, an asylum seeker is a person who has left their home country as a political refugee and is seeking asylum in, an in another country. Um, anyone under the Geneva Convention is um, able to seek asylum in any country for um, any particular reason and then during the time of them being an asylum seeker um, their refugee claim will be assessed and either they will be given refugee status and allowed leave to remain in that country or they will um, be not given that status and deported. And asylum just means that they can long term stay in that particular country? Um, asylum, yeah, asylum is for six months minimum. And then an economic migrant is someone who um, moves from their region or country due to economic or with economic aspirations.
Um, yeah, so we were actually going to do a completely different topic this week, but given the current situation um, about refugees and happening, what's happening in Greece, we decided to jump on this topic um, as we feel really heartbroken about the current situation and we also feel really helpless and what we can do individually. So we wanted to at least use our platform here to just highlight the situation and also, um, yeah, just have a chat about what's happening And yeah, we have our first guest, Ellie, and um, she has a lot of insight into the situation. So we're really excited to hear from her and talk a little bit more about what's happening. Yeah, welcome to the Yikes podcast, Ellie. Thank you. It's great <laughs> to be here. Um, do you want to tell us a bit about um, what's going on in Greece? Maybe a lot of people might not know what's going on. So just give a bit of an introduction. Well, over the last few days, uh, there was a bombing um, and a, more fighting on, in the Idlib province in Syria. Um, and 33 Turkish uh, soldiers were killed. Um, and the fighting has got so intense there that Turkey has had to withdraw and Turkey has said that they are not coping dealing with the fighting that's going on. And over one million refugees are coming into Turkey and Turkey has said that they're going to open their borders to those refugees coming in because they don't feel comfortable dealing with them in Syria. Um, so they have opened their borders not only between Syria and Turkey but also between Turkey and Greece. Um, and they have done this because they said that Europe hasn't lived up to the EU and Turkey agreement from in 2016 um, because they haven't given them enough money is what has happened. Um, and Greece has retaliated by pushing back against those refugees that are coming in. Um, that is the current situation mm. that's going on. And that agreement, my understanding of it was, it was that like the EU made a deal with Turkey, wasn't it? That they'd kind of, as they called it, like a shield to the rest of Europe. Yeah, mm. well, they said they give them six billion dollar um, euros. Sorry, <laughs> they give, said they give them six billion euros um, to hold the refugees within Turkey. Um, there's a lot of myths circulate, circulating mm. around that on how much they actually received. Uh, Turkey says they received about 2.4 billion. I read an Al Jazeera article the other day that said the EU had announced in 2019 that they did only receive 2.4 billion of that money. So actually they haven't received enough money to be caring for the 4 million refugees that are already living in Turkey. Mm. Um, they're overrun. They don't have enough like funds or capacity to deal with the amount. There's only 1 million refugees have entered Europe mm. um, compared to the 4 million that are living in Turkey which is just like ridiculous numbers mm. um, for one country to be dealing with um, and I think President Erdogan just basically decided that there was it was too much for Turkey to be dealing with as one country with such lo so little support from the EU and so decided to make a huge political statement which mm. is putting the lives of refugees at risk. Mm. Um, and so um, if anyone hasn't seen the news kind of what happened when the um, border has been opened is that the Greek Coast Guards have been um, like firing live ammunition near the boats of refugees um, telling them to go back to Turkey trying to tell them to turn around like there have been videos um, that are really quite harrowing of um, the Coast Guards using sticks to like to push um, boats and already like there have been people who have drowned because of this and These are the these are the videos that I saw um, the other morning that um, like really completely broke my heart in so many ways, and I remember having a big old cry about it. Um, I'm feeling really helpless because so like I, I think I've talked about it on the podcast before a bit, but I've been to Calais a couple of times, um, or a handful of times, um, and the situation there is like I see it as like really desperate. And then and I I've never even been to Greece, and I've heard the situation in Greece is like so much worse because there's the authorities aren't like 
they can't they don't really have capacity to do enough there because Greece is currently hold not I mean compared to Turkey obviously not not the same at all but they're holding so many more refugees than the rest of like Europe are and they they can't really deal with that capacity so you can you I don't know what I'm trying to say here yeah I mean, yeah i mean great the mm. islands in greece i'm mm. not i'm only talking about the islands in the aegean sea are holding yeah. forty-two thousand uh, refugees who haven't been processed mm. because greece doesn't have the funds to be able to process them they don't have the money to be able to process asylum claims quick enough with the amount of refugees that are crossing over from turkey so like in an average week in 2019 i can't say actually say average but about mm. like maybe a hundred a week mm. or like 500 a week or those with the like flowing averages all through winter all through summer were arriving on the islands and that's just one island samos or lesbos or mm. kios and so there's constant flows of refugees coming and they can't send them to the mainland quick enough because they mm. can't process the asylum claims so it is becoming an emergency situation like the camps are becoming like to the point of break, like breaking point um mm. so like lesbos is only meant to house i think um 8000 Wait, let me double check that. <laughs> uh, it's only meant to house actually 3,000, the the mm. actual camp. Um, but there's over there's about 20,000 people living in that in that Moria camp. Um, and Samos is only meant to house 650 people in the camp. And there's 8,000 people living there. And they're living in jungle. So mm. jungle similar to Calais. It's mm. like surrounding the camp. These people have no sanitation. They have very little water supply. Showers, if they have them, are cold. Um, there's like very few toilets for them to use. The food is like not good for them. So it's, it is a chronic emergency situation mm. in all of these islands. Um, and it's only getting worse at the moment, mm. sadly. Mm. And uh, yeah, what, from what I've heard recently as well, there's been so many threats um, just from civilians or like you said, like from the Coast Guards, uh, even police, you know, like from all of these different, um, like, yeah, bodies um like yeah threatening volunteers threatening refugees there's been so much violence within the camps from outsiders and obviously when there's so many people in such small living spaces and a lot of them um are obviously like such poor infrastructure like you just said and also like the the tents like no one should have to live in these tents anyways and like the crowd like the overcrowdedness of these camps has caused so much violence but now like also the in external violence are coming in um yeah it's just getting worse and worse and Europe is just watching like no one's doing anything mm, yeah. and that's just so heartbreaking and yesterday someone in um a, a right-wing politician in Germany um like like basically called for like increasing offenses even batons to use against refugees and like this is you know like where are we wh where are we heading like mm. this is yeah the, i mean also just considering that it is a human right to be able to flee your country and move to another country um it is in the human rights like un declaration and you know our i feel like our government governments here in europe they're so always like saying of how we have such a safe place here in europe and like how we are so good in human rights and all yeah and just portraying it on other countries whereas we are watching right now the biggest human rights violations on our own ground and internationally like i mean borders don't matter when it comes to human rights either way and yeah like the like apathy and and that like crime and like just watching people dying i just yeah it's beyond my because greece is now 
um, tell me if I'm wrong. Greece has now suspended like the right to claim asylum, mm-hmm. which is against, a huge violation against yeah. all yeah. conventions and laws. And and I saw something um, last night on the news that they were being congratulated by other European officials. Um, mm. So the EU commissioner, I've written it down. Mm-hmm. Um, the head of the EU commission has given a strong message of support to Greece and said mm. that they are European, Europe's shield against this supposed flood of people coming in mm. um, and to be sort of congratulated by the EU commission is something that just like completely shocks me that like mm, p- the central European powers are saying this like um, the EU commission the pres- president her name is Ursula von der Leyen has said that those who seek to test Europe's unity will be disappointed we will hold our line and our unity will prevail and that, to me, is sounds like they're fighting a battle against mm, these yeah. vulnerable. Well, they're not all vulnerable, but these like these refugees who are coming and they are asking for our help. Mm. Um, that literally gives me shivers down to, my whole body. Exactly, like, it just sounds very dystopian. Mm. And and there was an yeah. image. There's an image that's been tweeted about around of the EU Commission going to Greece in a helicopter. It looks like something out of a Bond film or mm. something of them going to war. It's like them walking across the tarmac, and it's just I don't know. Oh, especially that notion of like unity we stand in unity Mm. against like what yeah I have no and Greece is a shield yeah what what the what is this this rhetoric that they're using around sort of wars it is really interesting because I think that all that does, all of this, all that all of this does is fuel this idea. Because I lot so whenever I've gone to Calais and come back, a lot of people I know will be like, But why are they all coming to Europe? Like, why are they all coming here? And that's usually the question people ask. Like, mm. I'll be asked that by friends or by family members. Um and I think everyone seems to have this this like idea that everyone is coming to Europe or and it's like most people aren't. <laughs> the majority of people go to um a neighbouring country. So that's why the majority of people are in like in Turkey or Jordan. Um Oh, I actually have it written down. But um, the amount of people that go to Jordan, it's like a quite a huge percentage of their population are like asylum seekers or refugees. Mm. Um, Very much. I mean, like even in the DRC, like people flee, like people flee in the like middle of Africa to another country yeah. which experiences the majority war. of migration yeah. is, is between some like um, lower income countries mm. most of them aren't even the, only, only the wealthiest ones and the ones who are most yeah. able to travel are coming to and like what does that mean you you're fleeing from a situation in your home going to another zone of war and that's like and that's seen as better and like like you know like that that just tells you how horrible all of these conditions are i think like Yes, when I've met people in Calais, just anecdotally, just from chatting to people, um, like usually like they have family in the UK or they have previously worked in the UK on construction contracts of some sort or something, or they've just, they've previously had a life in the UK and then have for some reason like haven't, aren't there anymore or their kids are there or their family or something. Um, And so when people say that um, everyone's coming to Europe or everyone's coming to the UK especially, um, it's just not true because there are 2,000 people in Calais. To, by, the, by the time that you've made it to Calais, you will have gone such a long way like and gone through so many different things and had to... I don't, it would have been such a long journey. And not not everyone like wants to make that huge journey. Um, 
I was they, able to. Or was able to. And by the time that you've got there, like there's a there's a, definitely a huge reason why you're there. And there's only 2,000 people in Calais and there are 65.6 million displaced people worldwide. So everyone isn't coming to the UK. I think that that's just a narrative that the media use to kind of fuel this like panic and hysteria around all of this and to make it out to be this like this European crisis. But in reality, like Europe doesn't take the majority of of people, the majority of people don't come here. So, yeah. Well, Europe has taken, so after the, in 2016, it took 1 million refugees and there are 4 million in Turkey. Like mm. that is a comparison of like, and like the population of, of Scotland is 5.4 million. So the amount <laughs> of refugees that Europe has taken is like a fifth <laughs> of the, less than a fifth of the population of Scotland. It's such a small mm. number. Yeah. Um, and when you put it in perspective like that, it just is so clear how, how small our actual contribution to this global issue has been mm. and yet we've had such a well should we get into the fact that europe's had such a huge part in causing yeah. like so many of these conflicts it's a hugely structural issue like there's we're turning a blind eye to the problem that we've created historically and politically it's like a it's a huge geopolitical problem that has no sort of no sort of end point unless mm. like the powers of the world like america britain like Syria, Russia turn around and say that they have to fix these things, which have been caused for like decades. Mm, mm. <laughs> this is, uh, yeah. I, I just think, well, the big thing for me, well, one of the big things for me is thinking of like, how how dare we like turn our, turn our back on yeah. these people who, um, who have lost so many different things, which is so linked to like, colonial legacy which is so linked to like so many different ways in which the 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 europe and the us um have been involved in these conflicts and have been involved in the creation of like insecurity in so many different ways and so many different and all these different places like how dare we then turn our back and say actually like we don't we don't want to help you i just don't understand it yeah like now that we don't need them anymore or we don't there's nothing for us anymore to exploit or, or anything. Then suddenly we're like, yeah, we, we don't have the space for you. And this is a, I mean, this was a huge thing in Germany um, when we, like Germany had so many Turkish um, like workers come over and everyone's like, oh yeah, they're going to work for us like post the war and like help us rebuild everything. But then they're going to leave again once, you know, once they've done their work. And yeah, and like, like you said, like people start having a life and so they should and and suddenly we're like yeah we don't actually want them here anymore and um i think germany at the moment is like still trying like there's still huge segregation between um people who have lived there for for years and decades and have family there but still don't feel integrated and i think even globally when we look you know to africa like all of these borders are made by colonial european powers and and like there's so much yeah, like we've caused so much of those issues between people and and still have our fingers everywhere in these like global systems and yet don't yeah, and, and yet don't try to address it when people are suffering because of these things and um yeah, it's just uh. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just because people don't think it's like narrow-mindedly don't think it's their problem greece doesn't think it's their problem that there's a war going on in syria yeah when maybe it's not greece's problem in particular but it's certainly an issue that needs to be solved through like international unity i 
well, not European unity because we know that's quite a negative <laughs> thing. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's this strange like offsetting of these issues onto other countries mm. and, and it's like constantly just going to continue if people like are giving the blame to somebody else or giving the responsibility to somebody else and then it lands on these countries that can't deal with it. Like even with the narrative with what's been going on at the moment, I've seen so many people just be very anti-Greece in this and be like, oh, I can't believe Greece are doing this. Like, mm. how dare they? And I'm just like, t- like turn the finger on yourself. Be like, how dare we? Like, yeah. like where's our culpability in this? Like the, especially in the UK, we take a very small number of um, asylum seekers and refugees. And well, I mean, you ha- we have to take any asylum seeker. So to kind of explain what an asylum seeker is or that kind of, so anyone from any country anywhere is... Um, um, allowed to like apply for asylum in any country they end up in they don't have to it, you can be I didn't know this but you can be literally from anywhere you don't have to you have to explain why and then you within six months you'll be either given refugee status or not but a lot of the time it lasts for way longer than six months and during the time where you're an asylum seeker you can't work um, and you, the government's meant to provide you with housing and stuff especially in the UK um, with the hostile environment policy um, they make that as difficult as possible so like I know of people who um they their family will have been almost like sp- split up into different places because they try and make it so that people don't want to be here and then they'll leave and they don't realize that by the time someone's made it to like to get here and to claim asylum like that's been a huge journey. Um yeah, I mean the UK government recently voted on family unification or voted against it. So meaning that if children under age die here for example in the UK, their parents or they can't they can't become like, they can't go to their family members, meaning that all of these underaged people just end up in like huge camps altogether with, without anyone, even though they have family members here in the UK. Mm. And they clapped for that when they, when they voted against that. Yeah, there are 200, um, unaccom- around 200 unaccompanied minors currently in Calais and um, that have family in the UK. Um, but this bill means that... Um, like they won't unify them with their family which I just if we won't protect the most vulnerable people in society then who are we going to protect that's something that I was like that's what especially that whole situation that was the big thing I was like if we won't protect kids <laughs> who are on their own like where's the hope for oh, I don't want to get all like hopeless but where is the hope for for other people and like in over Europe um apparently in the last few years 10,000 minors have gone missing um who are refugee kids and that's just yeah i just don't know i just don't understand how we couldn't protect them i feel this is getting too sad i like i mean I, the problem is yeah. it's such a sad situation there's no yeah, there's no yeah. there's no which way about it it mm. is it is it, this is one of the the worst humanitarian disasters in all of history like this is horrific these things that are happening around us and the things that like it's not even that much in the news i've been listening to bbc radio 4 every morning it's barely in the news and i was listening to the today program on tuesday i think or monday um about just just in the morning the, the only at the end where they did they get the someone from the um turkish government on to speak and they told them they were lying basically they were really rude to this woman who was trying to say that Tur- why turkey opened up the borders and they were being so rude to her and it's just that's the only news that people are receiving about this issue we, we are in a minority of people who are listening to these mm. issues and like googling it and like mm. reading these articles there's a lot of people out there who don't know mm. what's happening and almost not that they don't care but they're not aware mm. it's ap- it's apathy it's just mm. this like 
I don't know, not our problem. Mm. Um, yeah, I think I forget that. I think I forget that most people don't know what's going on. Yeah. Um, or that the only thing they know of it is what the Daily Mail has told them. Because like, the Daily Mail is the most popular newspaper in the UK, which makes me mm, want to yikes. scream. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think a lot of people probably think that it's not an issue or like think that it's gone away, I think, especially since the since the jungle was demolished. I think a lot of people, because that was the closest thing that we could like tangibly see. Um, I say the official jungle was demolished um, in 2015. Um, I think people think that like the whole issue went away and it's not an issue anymore. Um, so I guess, yeah, that's one thing I guess we need to do is just talk about it like as much as we can um, to as many people as we can talk about it. Yeah. And also talk about it in a way which is critical of like every single mm. person's aspect in it. Like nobody, no country, no person is like neutral in this mm. at all. Mm. Um, I've seen like so many articles and so many tweets that are blaming Turkey and mm. saying that Turkey is using these refugees as geopolitical pawns to like, I don't know, to, to, to blame Europe or mm. to get money out of Europe. And it's just not true. Like, and there's like, it's, it's not noticing that Greece and Europe are actually mm. also using these people as geopolitical pawns. Everybody's using them. It's like such a, it's it's manipulating it to sound as though it's to blame other people when actually it's not, it's not something you can just like pass off onto mm. somebody else. And it, mm. it makes me quite angry that I see all these people who are saying it's Turkey's fault, it's Turkey's fault. And it's like, no, look at what Greece is doing. They're just, like you said, mm. they're firing live ammunition. They're threatening mm. to fire live ammunition at people in dinghies, in rubber mm. dinghies in the sea. Mm. Like, that's unacceptable. Like, mm. there's they're giving 700 million for Greece to secure its borders, not to protect these people, but mm. to secure its borders and to fight back and to push people back across the sea. That's to fire tear gas at them, mm. at children. Like, that's not, that's not, what our where our priorities should be at all mm. in this world is protecting the borders like it it makes me so sad to think that that's where our politicians uh, priorities are mm. is paying money for frontex to secure the borders um yeah like i think i i read somewhere that they've also paid the libyan coast guards as well to try and um like protect that area as well but all that's doing is in like there's a new slave trade in Libya that's been happening but the, you might have read some things about this but um like people are being genuinely sold into slavery because of people who get there and they are like um wanting to get to Europe or wanting to try and like get to Europe in some way um they will probably spend all their money to pay a human trafficker to try and get them across um on a boat and then if that boat ends up like being turned around or something and they have nothing left like a lot of times people end up being being trafficked and being sold um and it just like I just I can't understand how with that knowledge like people would be paying the Libyan government to kind of I don't know rather than being like hey like how about we protect these people they're like how can we just stop them from coming to us like is this like isolationist like selfish just horrible politics that I just and I think also like the the issue in itself is so dehumanized by mm -hmm. our current like by the media by the by the governments itself like you just have these like wrong statistics thrown at you mm -hmm. if it's at all in the media and then you know like I think there were like some outcries from the general public when there were like pictures of like an individual mm. dying or like an individual but 
just like the numbers that they are like throwing at us just like really dehumanizes and also i mean we talked about this like briefly before but but like how either we don't take like we don't want refugees at all or we only take them when they are beneficial for us mm. um and like recent headlines were like oh yeah but refugees are actually good for our economy which is like no like a human should be protected regardless of of what they can or can't do and investing in a human life is always worth rather than like like no matter what we get back from that and i find that dehumanizing of the whole situation and like also like the the people themselves um so horrible and yeah i feel i i really um the instagram con 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 conversations from Calais um I feel like it's really amazing and like just highlighting like these are people and mm -hmm. you know like anyone can like can be that and we could all be in situations where we would need to flee and um yeah I don't know where I'm going with this um I just feel like the like dehumanizing of people is one of the like worst things that's like happening yeah I mean people's voices aren't heard I think that's one of them. It's almost impossible as well because there's so many of them to yeah. make oh, sure, sure every individual yeah. voice is heard. But it's something that is, yeah, they're placed into this one lump of either being sort of, that's something that's a myth-busting thing, is they're either placed into this idea of being a threat or vulnerable, and that's just mm. two very dehumanising terms mm. that has, gives them no agency or, like, identity in or their dignity. situation yeah. or dignity. Like, then, like... I think that's one of the rhetorics that's going around at the moment is that there's, they're threatening. Like, these people coming over the border are threatening. And, like, well, one thing we're, like, we need to be cautious of falling into is saying, no, they're vulnerable. Like, they're, they, they need to be looked after because actually a lot of them are quite... That, that that's, runs the risk of putting them into one category of just mm, being, yeah. like, a passive... They're just, like, floating over the border when they're not. They're, mm. they're fighting for their lives and, like, every single person has a different story to tell. Mm. Um, It's these really difficult kind of dichotomies that everyone falls into when discussing the refugee crisis. It is, it is really difficult to, to like to talk about it and know the best way. How, why don't we, let's talk about your work a bit. Like, um, mm. so you've been to Greece, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. Um, I've been to Samos and Lesbos, two of the islands in the Aegean. Okay. Do you want to tell us a bit about like your experience working there? Yeah. So um, in the summer last year, I went to Samos. Um, I worked with an NGO called Refugee for Refugees. Um, they were originally from Lesbos. So they were set up by a guy called Omar who fled from Syria. He was part of the White Helmets in Syria and fled in 2016, I think got asylum in, in Germany and then went back to Lesbos to set up this organisation to try and help people on the front line. Um, he's an incredible man. Um, and so they started in Lesbos and they were doing... Um, what, so they were rescuing people from the sea when the boats came in. They were doing that and they were also um, litter picking and helping set up tents and they also run a shop, um, a clothes shop, so they do clothing distribution. Um the way of distributing clothes is to like create this sort of like um like an like a normal ish shop so people come mm. and they choose the clothes that they want um and they also do kids activities so getting kids into like some nice little space and like, playing games with them is really fun um and then they got they asked to move to samos um in 2018 
because there weren't enough NGOs on Samos. Um, so when I went out on Samos, we were doing um, also distribution, so mass distributions, because there weren't enough, and there was no one doing any distribution. Um, so we were doing clothes, tents, sleeping bags, hygiene products, um, and we were also doing children's activities. So like your day-to-day life would be like working in the shop in the day or the warehouse sorting clothes. And in the evening, you'd like to play with the kids for a few hours. Um, yeah, it's a great NGO. <laughs> mm, and, really cool. I'd never heard of them before, so that sounds... Yeah, it's quite yeah. small. It's very mm. small. Um, but they're only on those two islands, and they're thinking mm. of expanding to uh, COS, which is interesting. Yeah. Mm. Um, so my dissertation, I went out again in December and did research on um, that NGO in particular and the way that they distribute clothes in the shop. Um, so my dissertation is on the methods of humanitarian aid that they do mm. and how that can improve people's agency and looking and critiquing the ways that they do that um, and how successful they are. Mm, that's really interesting. Yeah, I've done clothes distros in Calais and it can be a lot, I found. I don't know, if they, I don't know how it was there. It just, um, like, I didn't realise how complicated it was. I know this sounds silly, but like how complicated it is to give people dignity whilst giving things away does mm. yeah like i think sometimes people don't understand and at first like i've had a lot of people be like i just i just donate all my like clothes with holes in it and stuff to because they just need mm. anything but they don't really think about the fact that like if you've if you've lost like pretty much everything like the, if the one thing that we can give people is d- dignity in some way or like at least trying even a bit of it well um, i think people have their own dignity mm. but it's take it's being taken away by you know, by, by this crisis, mm. but also like the way, for example, we, we do aid. Mm. I, like to me, that's, um, I read this book, The Ungrateful Refugee, um, by a really inspiring woman. And it's a really good book. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And she, and she highlights like how, um, even if, even if we give aid in, in whatever, um, p- refugees, whatever situation they're in would never have to repay because dignity is just a given. And for example, even like giving some, and that's so hard because when you're in, um, in a situation where other people like give you something or, and you know, like, yeah, just, I think it's really hard to strike that balance between people have already the dignity, but it's like, stripped away mm-hmm. because of the situations we create. And at the same time, inevitably there is aid how do you not make them have to repay it mm. in some way because there are power dynamics there which yeah. are like problematic in some mm. ways I mean, humanitarianism yeah. is full yeah. of power dynamics yeah, yeah these are spaces where politics doesn't exist in a sense mm. in these camps so like the humanitarian aid organizations are the the power mm. that exists there mm. and there's so much to say how much are they actually exacerbating a problem and like creating these passive people and creating these people who just like become used to waiting and receiving aid and then they just are become apathetic and that's making them into these sort of non-people um mm. it's a huge it's a huge problem and it's like especially how on these islands and in calais especially at the moment people have been there for years like this isn't this isn't a short-term issue like these are people that are mm. waiting for asylum for like three years four mm, years yeah. on these islands like mm. i i met someone one of the community volunteers i work with who was there in um june and he got there in december in 2018 and when i went back in december he was still there he still hadn't had an interview he was still stuck on the island um 
and mm. he's he hasn't got an interview until 2021 he's going to be there for three years on Zamos without and you can't work you can't, you can't work you know you, you can't do anything the police moves you constantly like, it's it, it, and, and then if you're constantly treated like a person who can't make his their own decisions or somebody who is just receiving something rather than if you can't work if you can't like fight for yourself then you just and you're not given a voice like your voice not, is yeah. being silenced yeah. you lose your sense of identity and your sense of being a human and um it's it's not good for mental health at all mm. yeah how did you find like going in and going out of those spaces very difficult mm. um it's it's a really it's it's not a thing to be taken on lightly um not to say that I've done amazing things but I mean it's it's also something where you, you go in and you don't feel like you've actually you do help mm. and everyone's help is useful but it's part of a huge a huge machine and, and everybody is not insignificant but um I don't know how to phrase it <laughs> it's, it's not you're, you're part of a huge mm. um system of, of of um giving aid to people which is much more complicated than you might think going in for the first time like I felt like I had done something but also it could have been anybody if you know what I mean mm. um and coming away and feeling like I'd left people behind and then the worst was going back and seeing people that I had seen before and knowing that they were still there and then leaving again that mm. was that was almost worse for me um like knowing that I had gone come back and gone again mm. and was just going back to my normal life at university studying um and going home to for Christmas for see my mum um that was the hardest I think um yeah yeah it's just hard like how easily yeah we can just go and leave and then go back and there's no like we've done we've done nothing to like to earn that privilege do you know mm. if that makes like I was so I went I was born in Jamaica and I went back to see my family in January and I'd been to Calais like a couple of weeks before we went um and it felt weird to be able to go back to the home the land that I was born in um and see my family And then just be able to go back to the UK and like it just be so smooth. And I think just after having had so many conversations with people who like, like they do anything to be able to go home and come back and like travel so freely. And I think I was just made so aware of like how much of a huge privilege that is, but also like I've done nothing to earn that in any way. And like, I don't know if, I don't know how is the best way to say this, but I, that was quite like an emotional experience for me, I think. Um, Because yeah, I've, I very rarely go back to Jamaica and see my family. Um, but I just know that I could if I wanted to at any point. Um, and I think, yeah, like I, when I've been to Calais, I've very rarely like had contact. I've never, very rarely have done like field work. So I've mostly just been chopping wood in a warehouse. Um, and the only times I have like gone on the field and don't like, get to know people, else, I don't have the same experiences like, of like going and coming and seeing people and like seeing the same people. And I think I'd I'd find that really hard yeah i i had i just have so much respect for the people who like who i know who have who go back all the time for many months and do a lot of field work and build relationships with people um because there yeah there is such a different power like there is a weird power dynamic in that way of like you know that you can leave mm. um and it's I don't know. I I yeah. Don't yeah. Really know movement I mean, movement yeah. is a privilege, like, mm. and everybody should acknowledge it. 
Um, mm. And it's not until you're in that situation that you realise how stark it is um, that you can just up and go. Um, and like saying goodbye to people is going to be like so difficult when you know that they actually are stuck there and like stuck in a, a horrific situation as well. It's not just like they're, they're stuck having a nice time. Um, yeah. And I find, and I think Joe and I were actually talking about this the other day, um, how we're, so I'll, I'll talk to people and people be like, oh, how many people are economic migrants? Like, why are they moving just for whatever? And I'm like, why does that matter for one? And for two, you were saying that there are TV shows about white people going moving to Honestly, like, like white people countries. like yeah. starting their hot dog business in Bali. Like, <laughs> can we all take a breath and like, you know, and, and kind of calm down about who can and who can't move apparently yeah. if they're European white and or, you know, from the quote unquote like Western world, it's fine for us to move abroad because we want a better life for ourselves and we want to be in the sunshine or whatever. And suddenly if it's non-white Western people, it's a crime to move for whatever reason. Like, it, yeah. Also the lines blur so much to what an economic migrant and a refugee mm. or an asylum seeker is. Like if yeah. you can't, like if you have if climate change is hitting your town and mm. you can't create you can't um, farm the land you can't like get feed your family so you're moving to get a job so you can feed your family that is if you could classify that as either an economic migrant or a refugee like mm. you can't feed your family but you're uh, you're wanting to earn money like I met so many people who were um wanting to study in the uk like one guy mm. from cameroon who just all he wanted to do was come and go to university and he was fleeing cameroon because his family wasn't rich enough to pay the corrupt um government's fees to go to university and like i don't know why i classify he, I, I don't, he doesn't fit into a category mm. of like economic migrant like refugee like he can't make a living in his country if he can't go to university but he can't go to university because he can't pay the hugely high cost of going to university so he's trying to seek a better life but then you that's just i don't know it, it, you can't categorize these people um i'm doing my dissertation on climate refugees um from Kiribati, which is um a group of islands um in australasia oceania that continent um and they're basically going to be the it's going to be the first country to completely submerge um due to rising sea levels and because of this they've they've since the 70s they've had like a relocation plan of like how they're going to move the entire country um to fiji i think it is because australia has closest borders to them yeah it's like it's it's very all of it's very complicated but for a long while people have been moving from um Kiribati to um new zealand or australia um but they've been classed as economic migrants and they haven't been able to get um visas and things like that and I feel like that's kind of an example where these kind of lines blur because, um, yeah, t- currently the definition in definition of international definition of refugee is someone who's um, fleeing due to conflict, um, but or persecution of some sort, um, and these people in Kiribati like aren't fleeing due to conflict, but they like they can't stay in the land like where they're from and it isn't it is a desperate situation as to why they need to move i think that that's why like if we if we try and i I don't know i don't think we should ever try and put anyone into a box of some sort it's weird how we even do that with with refugees because then your debt people are definitely going to fall through the cracks and like at the moment um climate refugees are falling through the cracks because they aren't classed as refugees globally and yet 
Um, it's not just people from Kiribati. It's not just people whose homes are being submerged. It's also people in like Somaliland where they're experiencing huge drought. Um, places where food insecurity is becoming an issue. Um, yeah, I I think that yeah, with with climate change being as it is, and as we've talked about many times on this pod, um, we're only going to see more forced migration. Um, because of our changing climate, because of rising sea levels, or because of food insecurity and drought, um, and supercharging any work, like any bad conditions that are already there, like it's supercharging mm-hmm. all. I mean, recently when in the Lebanon, like when this huge like snowstorm came, and people didn't like people live in tents, which means they are so like you know like the conditions they set out for this like no shelter no nothing so like whatever condition we're in climate change is going to supercharge that condition yeah there's um i don't want to get too technical but there's like a term called like nexus dynamic which is um when conflict and like um climate change related issues kind of intersect to to exacerbate a conflict and that's happened in a lot of the conflicts that we're seeing now and people who are refugees um, in like a nexus dynamic kind of situation where there's been conflict are classed as refugees but, people, but if they're still experiencing um, like the same issues but there just isn't a conflict at the same time they aren't um, so yeah it's it's just basically it's super complicated and I feel like I don't know I feel like I don't know what I'm trying to say here lost for words I'm, I, yeah, I think all of this yeah all of this is just it's a whole big issue and I don't think we can divorce these issues from each other I think we can't look at any social justice issue or climate justice issue like on its own. Like they're all interconnected in so many different ways. Um, and we can't have climate justice without migrant migrant justice. And we need to be um, like standing in solidarity with all different groups. Um, and this is almost like a whole different conversation. It's like migrant justice, climate justice. Like how can we be in solidarity with different groups? Um, I think the thing is, is they're all so interconnected. Like everything that's going on at the moment is interconnected. Climate change, politics, these wars that are happening, like the refugee crisis, the whole thing. You can't, you say you can't see it in isolation. Mm. Um, and I think if people start being aware of that, then that's a step in the right direction. That people start like looking at these things as hugely interconnected. Like the refugee crisis cannot be connect, cannot be disconnected from. Um, like the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan mm. back when. Um, these things can't be disconnected from the bombings of Syria. Like they, they're all, they're all huge. Yeah, everything needs to be considered within this whole. Um, and if people start realizing that, then I think that's more. Mm. Yeah, and I think in social justice circles in some way, like sometimes I think, I do think it's really good to have like your, your thing that you're fighting for, that like what thing that you really care about, but we don't have, I don't think we have like a capacity to how much we can love or how much we can like I think that you have a capacity in how much you can do but like we all should we all can care about all these different issues and we all need to make sure that in all the activism that we're doing all the work we're doing um is being done with awareness of all these different issues and because like I've there have been times where I definitely know that people in climate justice activism have like undermined maybe like the struggles of people in detention centers because of hunger strikes and things like that. So I kind of maybe have, shouldn't have even, that's the whole thing. Um, that's the whole thing to go into. But I, yeah, I think we all need to be aware of all these different issues and their interconnectedness and like act with awareness of all of them and not just be like, well, I'm a like climate change activist, therefore I can't care about the refugee crisis or I'm a like a refugee like activists so i can't care about the climate crisis like we have to 
we have to care about all of these and within all of our actions we need to be like how does this like fit into the bigger picture because nothing happens in isolation and that doesn't mean like we have to take on all the burdens of the world even mm. though we I mean <laughs> we're really good at that I think yeah. <laughs> all of us have been feeling really mm. hopeless recently and like very bogged down but mm. um that I think that also just means like how important these things are and someone pointed out recently to me that when your heart is so like feels so heavy about these things that also means like you will take action and you will have agency to contribute to something and by if if we say like oh i'm just going to care about this one issue you're dismissing so many not just situations um but also like their perspectives and how we can actually find solutions um mm -hmm. and i think we talked about that in our last podcast how about like community action which also means community care and like caring for all these different issues um is part of finding solutions mm. trying to be optimistic it's yeah and, I, and also one thing that like don't feel like you have to fake hope sometimes that's too much that's something someone said that to me recently they're like like you don't have to force hope sometimes like sometimes it's okay to just to act out of like hurt and anger i think that's fine as well i think too often like sometimes we can like feign this idea of hope um in times you don't feel it i think that i personally think that always like, is hope in situations and that that will come but i always think it's fine not to feel that sometimes and it's so fine to just be like i'm really really angry well personally i am not hopeful right mm. now about greece i um, mm. rest like there's a huge refugee crisis across the whole globe so i can't speak for every single situation mm. but i don't feel particularly hopeful about greece but i am angry mm. <laughs> um and you're right that is that's something that will maybe lead to change because if i'm angry I'll, someone mm. will realize how important it is and they'll that will lead yeah. into a chain of reaction of how important these things are um i don't know but i unless until we change our politicians minds then that's that's mm. not going to change much I, sadly i don't have much power within the system mm. But then we can have power together. So this is one way that we can try and do something is if we're talking about politicians changing their mind. One thing that you can do that takes you like genuinely a few, sec like 30 seconds is to email your um, MP about what's going on. I know it sounds like it, like it, I know that this can, it depends on your MP how like meaningful this will be. But if all, imagine if all of us in everyone that cares a little bit about this sent an email to their MP and that these MPs were getting like really barraged with emails. They maybe they would... Maybe that'll cause like a little bit of change. I'm not saying that's going to solve the situation at all, but if you're feeling hopeless and you're feeling a bit helpless, like maybe even just just try doing that one thing and that'll take like a few seconds. Um, we're also going to put in the show notes like a few other things you could do. Um, like, yeah, like just like reading about the whole issue. Um, like, you know, and this can be anything from like direct sources. There are a lot of organizations sharing perspectives from within Uh, camps and um, a lot of organizations doing really amazing things. Do you want to read your statement, for example? Um, yeah, so this is less jolly. Um, <laughs> but the organization that I work for, Refugee for Refugees, uh, in Lesbos, has temporarily had to close all of its operations on the island. Um, and this is not because of what has just happened with the um, opening of the Turkey's, Turkey's borders is actually because of the protests that have been happening in Lesbos at the moment and the clashes between the locals and the migrants and the NGOs that are happening there. Um, and huge numbers of like, like the Greek authorities have um, brought um, tear gas and police 
in on ferries to Lesvos to try and like sort out the situation um and actually are just it's escalating into attacks on NGOs, volunteers and refugees. Um, so this is their statement that they put on Facebook when they had to close their operations. Um, in the past 48 hours, the events that have occurred on Lesbos are beyond belief. The worst fears of those working on the Greek islands of major escalations in tension, human rights abuse and increased suffering have come true. After the Turkish government announced that they would stand down their, their border patrol earlier this week, violence once again erupted on Lesbos. The small groups of locals targeted both asylum seekers and those that stand in solidarity. Roadblocks have been set up across the island, aid workers and journalists have been attacked, and new arrivals have had no option but to stay on the beaches. This morning we received the devastating news that a dinghy had capsized off the south shore of Lesvos. 46 people were rescued from the grasp of the sea, but a young child, no older than six years old, didn't make it. This is another innocent life lost to the inhumanity of the current European migration policies, all our thoughts are now with his family as they face the torture of enduring this trauma stuck in displacement. For years, we, along with hundreds of other NGOs, have worked to protect the lives of those seeking asylum. We have now been forced to prop up a failing system. It has now collapsed. <laughs> Due to these increasing tensions and our inability to operate as normal, we have ceased operations effective immediately. Our teams have returned home or have shifted to other locations to continue providing support. We hope the situation de-escalates in the coming weeks so we can return to effectively continue operations. The facts are clear. There are still over 42,000 refugees on the Aegean islands. There are still extremely vulnerable people fleeing war, violence and persecution. Today, Europe must act to correct five years of negligent policymaking. It must own up to its chronic shunning of its international burden and recognise that changes in policy can fix this man-made catastrophe. <sighs> wow. Um, wherever you are listening to this, if you need to like take a minute um, and like just just like sit with this, then that's fine. I think sometimes I need to do that. Is just like I think so often that like, we've talked about like we made this podcast to be talking about things that can be really overwhelming and really heartbreaking, but that can seem so scary that we just run away from it and we don't engage with it like I really want to encourage you to just to just sit with it like sit with the knowledge of what's really going on like sit with that and allow yourself to really like to really just really like acknowledge that and to really be aware of that um because I think that if we're not aware of these things like we're not going to be able to act on them and if we push them down and ignore them that's how that's how all these like kind of like dark forces are able to succeed because everyone doesn't want to be aware of what's actually going on um and yeah we need to talk about it like yeah just talk to just people. reach yeah mm. reach out to people you're close with or like anyone really that you know like talk about the issue in itself but also like how you feel and um i think we are all just feeling right now quite yeah bogged down and um I think we did this episode exactly because we have no idea what to do individually but um yeah talking about it just raising awareness and also like how you yeah just sharing your feelings and how inhumane all of this is and um because like if we the more that we talk about it the higher it will get on the agenda of things to things to be sorted out whereas if we if we ignore it because it's too much, then it's it's never going to go away. It's never like ignoring it doesn't help anything. Um, we all just need to, 
yeah, just need to talk about it. We need to like share about it, like share things. I know that social media can seem like it's not real activism, but there are so many ways in which you can reach people by just talking about it on there. Um, like follow Conversations with Calais on Instagram. I found that a lot of the way that they talk about personal stories has really touched people that before when I talked to this kind of issue, they hadn't really engaged with it. Um, there are, did anyone want to shout out any organisations that... Um, I mean, if you're interested in anything going on in the Aegean Sea, the Aegean Boat Report has um, like regular updates on what's happening mm-hmm. um, at the moment. Um, so how many people are crossing at the moment and what's what's going on there. That's a great organisation. Yeah, Choose Love, um, mm-hmm. where you can buy real presents for, or yeah, just anything for refugees. Um, and also Humans Before Borders uh, is a really good organisation that does sea rescue and um, a lot of the people who are doing work there are also facing imprisonment for their work. So it's really important to like shed light on, on their stories and like show support also to those who stand in solidarity. Mm-hmm. And if you can, you know, like spend some time maybe in uh, mm-hmm. even in your community, um, refugee kitchen. Um, refugee, refugee community kitchen. Community kitchen, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do cookouts to raise money. Or you can put on screenings, for example, the movie For Sama. Uh, it's really an important movie that we can watch. Also, Indigo Volunteers, if yeah. you're looking for anything mm. to do over mm. your summers. Um, they're doing great work and they're also mm. a platform, really good platform to find out where you can help in a way that's not going to be problematic, even mm. in a very like constructive sort of They have links with all of the really good organisations working across Europe and yeah. outside of Europe as well. And on the show notes, we're going to add in um, an article from Help Refugees, which um, tells you how you can help, whether you've got a few seconds, a few hours, a few days, or you've got a week or more. Um, Even if you can go to Calais, which is really close if you're based in the UK like we are, um, you can get there really easily and help there or or to Greece if you have a longer time. or even within your community, it has the link to Indigo, Indigo Volunteers. Indigo, yeah. It has the link to Indigo Volunteers on there as well. Um, so that you could be matched up with an organisation that you could work with if that's something that you feel inspired to do. Um, we'll add other like relevant links in as well. Um, and if you can't volunteer, donating to Choose Love mm. and Help Refugees almost is better because those, if you have the money, they're yeah. both incredible organisations that fund a lot of the programmes that happen in Greece and obviously a lot of the ones in Calais as well. Yeah. Most of the distributions that happen in Greece are funded by those two organisations. They're fantastic. And at the moment, um, Choose Love are getting their donations matched. So any donation you make will literally, doesn't matter how small it is, it will literally have a huge impact. Um, And generally also questioning the media, um, what's being shared, because it's not just right-winged, like politicians or even media that are um, doing like yeah they are doing misinformation about this like it's across all boards so like questioning media questioning social media like any tweets any anything you see um that is de- dehumanizing other people thank you so much for coming thank you and yeah, for sharing and <laughs> i hope it was yeah i don't know <laughs> no, no, thank no, you no. so much thank it's, you so much so, yeah amazing um, yeah i hope you've all been as inspired by ellie as we have um and that you have like a, everyone hope everyone has a good day it's been a heavy episode it's been a heavy episode um but it's a heavy topic and it's, it's important, important to engage with it mm. please tell your friends um so this is a poem um that i wrote 
when I came back from Lesvos. Um, it's a sort of, it's not really just a poem, it's an ethnographic poem um, about the people that I met and their experiences and how I felt about leaving. Um, so the poem is from three perspectives. Um, one is one is me speaking as myself, and then there are um, two voices of um, refugees that I met in Lesvos camp that I was talking to and their experiences. Um, and then there's this fourth voice, which um, is whoever you see it to be. It could be the governments, it could be politicians, it could be yourself, um, it could be the media, um, which is a voice which sees refugees as undeserving and negative um, it's meant to be quite hard-hitting. <laughs> Movement is a privilege. I met Asadi on Lesvos in December. He comes from Iraq and has been living in Moria camp on the island for two and a half years with his wife and two daughters. Whilst I was working with him, he got his passport, giving him official Greek sta status as a Greek citizen. He was visibly elated. That same day, another man we worked with from Syria had his application for asylum rejected. This process has no rhyme or reason. Suddenly feeling happy was harder for Asadi. His joy was still infectious, yet tainted with sadness. He said, I hate it here. It's cold. I can't sleep. I'm tired all the time. The process of movement connotes ideas of agency, threat and freedom. Those who are condemned to stasis are in contrast passive, vulnerable and entrapped. Refugee camps are places of stagnant mobility, with the average displacement for refugees worldwide now over 20 years. People come and go, but movement is slow, held in transit between places. Passivity, immobility and stasis become normal. Waiting becomes an eternity, an endless present. When he is ready, he will leave. He will move onward to the next place. But wait. Now he has the privilege of movement. Is he a threat? An unidentifiable, illegitimate face in the mass. Mobility is threatening. The way a man walks down the street, the unknown rhythms itching at the fear ever present in the back of our minds. Men have been shot for this, just walking. Men have been cast away from a border, refused entry, border barred shut, beaten up, sent back. It's illegal to be sent back to a place so inhumane. But migrants who move of their own accord are called illegal. They are dangerous, illegitimate, compared to those who sit tight, waiting, waiting to be saved. They are victims, passive and vulnerable. But to stay still is to stagnate. Essin lives in a tent with her two teenage daughters and husband. Their tent is too small. One daughter doesn't speak. All day they sit and wait. Essin says, I used to go to sleep so late, but now there's nothing to do. I sleep when it gets dark. It's too dangerous to be outside. The food line is so long. We're hungry all the time. To wait, to queue, to wait, to queue. No one comes. Asadi will move. He will move from the island which has caused him so much grief. The island of cold showers every day, sleeping in freezing temperatures with no blankets, suffering. He says to me, I look so much older now. These are liminal spaces, non-places. Days disappear, years disappear, lives disappear into quiet nothingness. Spaces outside of place, imprisonment outside, states of exception. Spaces outside the law, outside of society. Spaces where anything can happen, no one cares. These are victims, the immobile, faceless mass. Keep them there and they won't be something to be feared, as long as they don't move. 
On December the 23rd, I take my passport out of my bag and board my flight out of Lesvos, out of Greece, back home. I'm moving, I'm mobile, I'm a citizen. I'm not passive or sedentary. I'm free to fly, walk, run, wherever. Am I a threat?